What's up, y'all? This is Philip Morrison with the Hoops for Christ podcast, and I want to start a new series on a very popular topic, which is how to get a college scholarship and then also how to get overseas. So I get a lot of messages on this, these two topics. I'm probably going to go a little out of order. I want to start with how I got overseas, sharing my own personal story, and then giving some tips to people who realistically have the opportunity and the talent to transition out of college into trying to play professionally overseas. Um, I actually did a vlog on this on YouTube with my uh, Hoops for Christ uh, vlog. I think it's called Hooper's Vlog, How to Get Overseas, but never a podcast. So I want to go into it on this podcast. Hopefully it will give some insight of kind of what it's like to play overseas, to be in a position to get a contract overseas, uh, it won't be too extensive or in-depth, but definitely if you, you don't know where to start, this is a, I'll give you some good tips on where to start. Hopefully it's helpful for you, and as always, I can be reached to, uh, to help even more for you guys that want to know more. So let's start in college. I uh, went to a couple different colleges, but I'll go into my college career and everything later on, but I, my last three years, I finished up at Asbury University. Asbury is... Um, NAIA school just outside of Lexington, Kentucky. Um, I loved my time there. Definitely a blessing from the Lord that I had that opportunity to each actually come back to college. I took two years off, got married, went to Bible school, and then came back and finished my college career there. And I uh, had a much better career than I thought I would. I was one of the top scorers in the country my last two years, all-conference, all-American. And uh, funny story is, my, my junior year, I had a really good junior year, and um, an agent, I want to say, or a scout in the Philippines found out that I was half Filipino, and I was contacted about playing professionally overseas, and the way to get there was I had one more year of college. They offered me a scholarship to one of the top colleges in the Philippines. And I was going to play, me and my wife moved to the Philippines, finished my last year of college there, play for one of their top college teams. And over there, it's a little different than over here. Like they, they offer money and packages, almost like being a pro over there. That's how they treat college players. It's against the rules to do that here. But they were going to offer me a package. And then I played in their, uh, their D-League, their development pro league team. A lot of colleges have D-League teams over there. And then that would qualify me to immediately go into their pro draft, which is exactly like the NBA draft. It's called the PBA there. So I would go through a draft combine, work out with teams, and I would immediately be eligible out of college to um, play in the pro league as opposed to the route that I did go, which is you have to play in their amateur league for a year or be 27 years old before you can qualify for the top league draft. Kind of weird rules, but that's kind of how it went. And that was the seed that was planted in my head that, wow, maybe I could actually play professional basketball. So let me be honest. It never crossed my mind ever that I could play professional basketball. Never until that moment. And I'm going to start here with self-awareness or people being unrealistic with their talent or ability. The main thing that... I'm no longer shocked at it, but it it did take me back in the beginning. 
is how many guys actually think they can play professional basketball. And let's just go by the numbers. Less than 1% of players that play college ball go on to play pro basketball anywhere. I'm not talking about the NBA. That's like 0.01%. Any country, anywhere, professional basketball because of how competitive it is and how limited the spots are to be an import player. Meaning when you're playing in another country, it doesn't necessarily mean you're playing for 15 spots. There may only be one or two spots for an American passport holder. I was fortunate that I hold two passports, a Philippines passport and an American passport, and that kind of opened the door for me to play as an Asian import. But, you know, the main thing for me was I just never thought I could play overseas, so I was a little bit uh, scared about it, and I was not overestimating my ability. I just never crossed my mind. So I did a little research after my junior year. I had a really good junior year in college at Asbury, and I started researching the league. I found different American players who, who like me, were Filipino-Americans and had transitioned into that uh, league in the Philippines. And then I started finding other leagues over in Asia all over the world. And uh, just by watching the games and researching and, and, and finding out as much information, and I actually got to talk to some of these guys, I realized that, man, I actually had a shot at playing over there. You know, it, it's not NBA-level talent. There are a few NBA-level players in these leagues that play as imports, but the vast majority, um, I really felt like not only could I play at that level, but I could, I could have a really good career and be a successful player at that level. So that kind of planted the seed after my junior year, and so that summer, I really dedicated myself to training to make a transition into pro basketball, but I didn't tell anybody. The only person I knew really was my wife. So... We kind of kept that under wraps, and I trained that way. Now, during that senior year, I had another, uh, an even better senior year than I did my junior year, and I was primed to try to make this transition, but I knew it'd be tough because a lot of it hinged on my uh, passport, getting my Philippines passport, because in some of these leagues over there, you can play as an Asian import. So the way these worked is... You have American or world imports. Usually you get to have one or two per team. And then a couple of these leagues allowed Asian imports, which was like one to three players with an Asian passport holder could play. And then the rest were domestic players, so citizens of that country. And um, so it was, a, it was about a year, a little over a year-long process. Uh, very, very uh, tough, big struggle to do it, but... Um, I ended up getting it, long story, long, long story short. I ended up getting my passport, which qualified me to to play not only as an American, but also as an Asian import. So what I did was, um, you know, the process was so long, and, and this is how I'm convinced that the Lord opened the door and, and uh, called me to do this. I'd actually given up on it because... Uh, just didn't seem like the paperwork was going through. A lot of people don't know this, but it hinged on my, my mother is full Filipino and I did not have a relationship with, with her. And during, during this process of me trying to contact her and scrounge up paperwork, I actually found out that she passed away 
years earlier. So I was never able to, to mend that relationship, uh, which obviously was a big emotional blow. Um, but also what came along with it was it felt like not only had, th- had that died, but the opportunity for me to play professionally had died because there was very little paperwork or there was almost no trace of my mother. So a lot of the lineage and birth certificate, things like that was becoming very difficult to find, which of course would make it impossible for me to get the paperwork necessary for me to become a Philippine citizen or passport holder. Uh, but, but God's grace and a lot of hard work from my wife, we actually found just enough paperwork, submitted it, I got my passport, and then off we go. So what I was looking to do was before I got to the Philippines League, I tried to um, I tried to go in these other surrounding leagues, and I ended up getting my first contract ever. I'll never forget, man, how excited. Um, I had a couple different offers, but the one that I chose was in Saigon, Vietnam. And uh, I think the, the official name is Ho Chi Minh City. Which, if you're in America and you're over the age, I want to say over the age of 40 at least, the American-Vietnam War is still very fresh in your mind. There's such a negative connotation on Vietnam. The Vietnamese still hate all Americans. So that was a little bit unsettling to um, convince my parents and my wife's parents that we're picking up everything, moving 10,000 miles away to Vietnam. But it was all good. Again, this was our dream. And I signed a contract. It was a very good contract. I didn't realize it at the time. But now, years later, seeing how the market has gone down and it's oversaturated and a lot of guys are trying to play professionally overseas for no money, I realized the money that I got my first contract was unbelievable, great money. Signed that contract and I was scheduled to leave, I want to say right around Thanksgiving. So it, it took me about 16 months to land that first contract. So I was just working, you know, working as a sub, high school sub at my old high school, doing odd jobs, cutting grass, doing whatnot, and trying to train every day to stay ready before I actually got my first contract. So that's another big part of it is having to do that nine to five grind on making money or taking care of your family responsibilities while you're going out, going after going overseas. So. Um, the advice I would give for me to get in that position for you guys that are really wanting to go overseas it's a desire in your heart number one I told you is be realistic with yourself think about it if if you are not dominating at an amateur level be realistic of why do you think you would get an opportunity why would you think that you could play at a professional level regardless of the country or where it is So, you know, like I said, if you just play the percentages, be realistic with yourself. Why would a GM, a scout, a coach professionally give you a scholarship if you didn't dominate at an amateur level? Usually the two things that I've found that they're looking for overseas, number one is size. Because especially me, I was playing in the Asian market. As you can imagine, there's a ton of little guards, ton of Asians that can play guard. So you got to be A1 special world-class as a guard to even get a look. 
So they're usually looking to hire somebody who's got size. You know, uh, a lot of the imports, American imports I play with from America, are usually six eight to seven foot one. Always bigs, very athletic. Um, something that sh- that was very rare and common. Not very often did I find guards playing over there. They were just straight Americans. So that's one is think about that. And if, if you didn't play Division One, well, there's a strike against you right there. If you're measuring an NAIA, D2, D3, JUCO resume against a Division One resume, more times than not, they're probably going to go with the Division One because it's a top level. It's just the way it is. So they're usually looking for size, or number two, they're looking for stats, gaudy stats. So you show that you are a big-time scorer or rebounder, or you've got uh, elite athleticism, something like that. It's usually what I found that they're looking for. So what helped me was I had really good stats uh, as far as a scoring guard. And again, I, I was a dual passport holder, so I didn't really have to take up an American spot. I could also come in as an Asian import. So that was a big thing too as well. Um, Second thing I would say after being realistic with yourself is um, put together a um, player profile and highlight film. So let's start with the highlight film. I always say this. Your highlight film, treat it like Instagram. Okay? Instagram, people are scrolling through quickly. If you're not catching their attention immediately, what are they doing? They're, they're scrolling to the next thing, right? And you got to think how many videos, highlight films, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's meant to highlight you, to make you look the best you can possibly look and cover up your flaws. So my advice is in the first 30 seconds, you should, you should be able to show exactly what kind of player you are. What is, what is your specialty? Why are they hiring you? How are you a specialist? Are you a world-class shooter? Are you a lockdown defender? You know, what are you what are you doing right now? You know, like why would somebody hire you? What is your skill set? And highlight that in your highlight film. Same with your player profile. You know, it should be very to the point and simple. Uh, who you are, your statistics, your accomplishments. All that good stuff, very concise, put together, organized in an email that you can send out across the board with your highlight film. So that's another thing. Uh, One more thing is your agent. So your agent is very important. I've seen guys who are really good, like really talented, can play at a high level. But in my opinion, they had an agent who was not well connected. Their network did not expand into those markets. And it really held them back from reaching their full potential of where they could have played. And on the flip side, I've seen other guys who, who get with the right agent and this agent is working extremely hard because the agent is the one who has to pitch you to teams and scouts and GMs. They are your middleman. You're coming out of college. You're just a guy over here who doesn't have the network. The agent's job is to be able to make the phone call, go into his phone. Who can he call? Who can he network with to get you connected and really pitch you? Uh, to sell you as an asset to these teams. So your agent is very crucial. If you don't go the route of the agent, you better better you better have this, the ability to network and hustle. You know, a lot of guys I know, I know a few that just use Facebook. Going in, putting in the time and work, DM through Facebook, uh, different teams, coaches, GM scouts, all that good stuff. So that's crucial. 
uh, whether you hire an agent who plays as the middle person who gets you the job or you're willing to play an agent for yourself and put in the time and work and hustle if you have that in you. Um, I don't really want to touch on exposure camps, Vegas camps, because I'm not very familiar with that. I never did that. I think 98% of that is just to make money and it, it only helps maybe 2%, so I'm not all for that. But certainly if you go there and you ball out among that, um, there's definitely guys that get opportunities. I just look at it as a, a more organized, older AAU system. I mean, everybody's there trying to get off. It's very tough. Everybody's playing selfishly. So I'm not a big fan of those, but I do think that they can benefit people that, that, that need that extra push to get their, their opportunity. So anyway, that's part one of kind of how I got overseas, where to start, where to look at. And, you know, it, other thing is if you can identify a market that you feel like you're a good fit for. For me, I, I saw that my game and my opportunity with the dual passport made me a good fit over in Asia, these different uh, leagues in Asia. Um, then I would try to contact other players. Maybe they're Americans playing over there. You know, maybe they're domestic players. I would try to contact them and get information from them. Learn as much as you can from them and uh, see if they'll hit you back because I know that was very helpful for me doing that. So hopefully that's that helps you guys. I'll come back with another part on overseas and also a big one uh, to help coaches, parents, and players of how to get a college scholarship, kind of tell you my story. I got two different college scholarships, how to go about that in today's world. All right, God bless.